Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts 18, verses 1 through 11. Please follow along in your Bibles as I read aloud. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord and together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. This is the word of the Lord. As Andrew said, my name is Ryan Tu. I'm the missions minister at First Baptist McKinney just down the street. And I grew up in Austin, Texas. Came to faith at about age 10 or 11. And I'm just so thankful to be in a church who preaches the word, who sings the word, who prays the word, who sings the gospel over one another. Such an encouragement to have sisters reading the word as we get ready to, again, preach the word. This is the kind of church I got to grow up in. Coming to faith around age 10 or 11, I actually met my wife when we were 13. We grew up together. Um, we actually both went to Baylor University, graduated, got married, moved to Dallas. I spent six years working in business, and then three years at a water ministry where we drilled water wells and planted churches in West Africa. And for the last four years, I've been working at First Baptist McKinney, and I'm just thankful for this honor, for this privilege to be with you this morning as we again look at God's Word. We have two kids, uh, Judah and Hazel, ages six and three. As many of you who are probably in those similar situations, you know that many of your days are just survived on pure coffee and Red Bull. So this is how we are getting by in our days. This is how some of our mornings feel. This is how sometimes a Sunday morning can feel. And really, other than that, all you really need to know is that I'm a fallen, broken man saved by Jesus Christ and here today to do my best to preach his word. So today we'll be in Acts 18 and 19. And while you turn there, click there or swipe there, however you want to get to the word of God, get to the word of God. Acts, if you don't know, if you're new to the Bible, is about three-fourths of the way through. You also have a table of contents in the beginning of your Bible if you need it. As I think about our kids and the way we get to interact with our kids, one of our favorite games in our house is hide-and-seek. It's always fun to think about the different roles of hide-and-seek. Sometimes you get to be the one to kick off the game. You get to be the one to count, to shout out the words, ready or not, here I come. Sometimes you get found quickly, and then you're kind of part of the team. You get absorbed into this new empire that's seeking people out. And then sometimes you're the final one because you have somehow found some very gifted place of hiding. Now, what's the best part of hide-and-seek? You can argue about this all day, but I'm just going to say it. It's being found. That's just that exciting time. 
someone finds you and everybody's roaring. In our, in our family, it's a very exciting time. Lots of screams, lots of emotions. And yes, you need to be found because if someone really did win in this game at hiding, they would look like one of those National Geographic things we see where you're just locked up for the rest of your life. So you need to be found. We need to be found. And being found is really, really the best part. And again, my, my hope today is from the Word of God to encourage you, to excite you for the upcoming season. As I, as Andrew just prayed, I'm excited for you guys and what's to come. And the main points that we're going to see today in our text is that God sees you. He hears you and he loves you. And God is going to use you. So, as we get into Acts 18 here, uh, let's just think about where we've been at in Acts if you've ever read this book. That Jesus has ascended, that the Holy Spirit has come, the church has formed, and now the church is on the move this man named Saul, now going by Paul, is on mission, and now Gentiles are being included in that. And so as we stumble here into Acts 18, we're in the middle of Paul's second missionary journey. So again, I thank you for the reading of God's word. And as we heard in verse 1, it reads this, after Paul, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So Paul's been in Athens, he's seen converts, he preached an amazing sermon and now he's taken a 53-mile journey to Corinth. And verse 2 says, He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had com uh, commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. This is likely from the 49 AD expulsion of Claudius, where he kicked the Jews out of Rome. And as we continue to read, he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade. God provided him some friends for the journey. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Again, Paul was an educated man. Acts 22 tells us that he sat, quote, at the feet of Gamaliel. He was an educated man, a wise man, a Pharisee teacher. But now being converted by Christ, he was still following this Jewish tradition, coming into the synagogue speaking after a series of readings that they would do, and then preaching the word, giving a word, but now fulfilling the word and the testimony of the Messiah that has come. Bringing this to his Jewish brothers and sisters first, and then the Gentile. And we'll see why he was so welcome to do this here in a little bit. But verse 5 reads this. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, because apparently they had been sent out, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. This is not the main point today. We'll get to the main verses that we're going to clue on here soon. But I just want to ask you, are you in the Word? Are you in the Word? I had a friend just a few days ago telling me about the hardship he's been in, and his wife asked him this very convic uh, convicting question. How's your time with Jesus? Are you spending time in the Word? Because Paul has been preoccupied with the Word, are you preoccupied? If someone stumbled into your life, would they see that you're preoccupied with the word and, like he is, testifying to it to those around you? Verse 6 reads this. And when they, the Jews, opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Again, Romans 1, Paul says this, I will take this ministry first to the Jew and then the Gentile. And these are very serious words of judgment. This is a very Jewish way to say, I'm done with you. I'm shaking my garments and I'm leaving. 
He's sent a very clear message. And this is how bold he is. He's so bold that, verse 7, he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. He was so bold that, it reads, his house was next door to the synagogue. This is big talk from Paul. To leave the synagogue and say, I'm done with you guys, and then just to walk 10 feet over, and this is where we're establishing our new ministry. That's like saying, left side of the room, I don't like the feedback I'm getting. I don't think you're paying attention, so I'm just going to come right over here, and we're preaching to this side. Pay them no attention. Like, is this, is this a bit silly, yes? That he's walked over to this house, and this is where he's establishing his new ministry. And even the leader comes with him. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, praise God, together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, they believed and were baptized. Notice the rhythm. And this is why Paul was lasting so long there anyways. Because apparently the leader had come with him. And even Jews were coming to faith. And now, as, as it says, Corinthians were coming to faith. In verse 8, these were the Gentiles. And again, notice the rhythm. Believing and baptizing. Over and over. We see this over and over again in Acts. And this then evolves into a group of believers who are then discipled. And therefore a church is formed. Churches are planted. This is Paul's rhythm, this evangelism, discipleship, and church planning. But often, where he is going, drama follows. Something negative often ensues, and it's not easy. And so we find verse 9. It doesn't jump off the page, the reality of Paul's situation, but obviously the Lord needed to bring him something. He needed something to survive. So these are the key verses we will focus on today, verses 9, 10, 11. We see God make a promise here. And in verse 9 it reads, And the Lord said to Paul, One night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is where we will see that God sees you, God hears you, and God loves you. These, this first phrase, do not be afraid, this should sound familiar. This is one of the most often commanded phrases we see in Scripture. And really, as most of Scripture does, it goes back to the first few pages of the Bible. God has created the world. He's created man and woman. And by page two, we've messed it all up. Because when sin enters the picture in Genesis 3, immediately they feel their nakedness and they run. And it says that God came into the garden looking for man, as if he actually had to look for him. And when he calls out, this is what Adam says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. I was afraid. And ever since then, this is an opening phrase we hear from angels, we hear from God himself, do not be afraid because God sees you. He knows where you are at. God sees you when you're hiding. God sees you when you're hurting. God sees you when you feel rot with shame. Or in this case, God sees you when you are just plain tired and scared of what's ahead. God sees you. Do not be afraid. Many of the observations we'll see here are actually personal and missional. In this sense, God is seeing Paul where he is at. 
but he also knows he needs to build him up for the mission to come. God sees you where you're at, and he needs to build you up for the mission to come. Paul must have desperately needed this. He needed to hear these words, do not be afraid. A dear brother to most, some people can disciple you from afar, Tim Keller. Tim Keller passed away just a few weeks ago. And people have been posting quotes by him. People have been posting interviews with him. And in one, he's sitting there very relaxed. It's a Zoom interview. And someone's asking him, what are some of the most profound things you've been learning lately? And he said, this is years ago when he was going through cancer and treatments and surgery. And he said, you know, I was getting wheeled back into surgery and I was just praying with God, asking for peace because it's just a reality of death on the doorstep. He goes, God just gave me something just a realization that if Jesus really did die on the cross, if Jesus really did come out of that grave, if he is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, Tim Keller said, then everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. This isn't necessarily true of all things temporal, but all things eternal, everything will be okay. Because God sees you. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Again, personally and missionally, God hears you. God sees you and God hears you. He hears your heart. He hears your desires. He hears your prayers, the broken ones, the hopeful ones, the tearful ones. And he does hear your work that you are doing for him the words of encouragement that you give to people, the prayers that you send forth for people as you intercede for others, as you share the gospel with your neighbors, as you encourage your coworkers, as you love your spouse and your children, the encouragement here, go on. God hears you. And then he says these words, for I am with you. Many debate or wonder, is this God speaking? Is this Jesus speaking in the context, and especially former chapters in the way that we see Luke, the writer, used the word Lord, and Paul used the word Lord. We can probably see that this is likely Jesus talking here. And it does sound familiar to Matthew 28 as he sends his disciples out on the Great Commission. He says, I will be with you till the end of the age. He says it again here. Do not be afraid. Go on, for I am with you. Now, I've always wondered, like, in this situation, why would he want to? Why would he want to be with us? Well, the point is, yes, God loves you. God sees you, God hears you, and God loves you. And he loves you like a parent and a child. In this relationship where we don't often bring what he's bringing to us. Think about your relationship with your children, how much work you put in. When they came into this world, they didn't bring a whole lot, but you poured so much love into them to build them up because you love them. God loves you. He wants to be with you because God sees you, he hears you, and he loves you. As he says here, I am with you, and no one will attack or harm you, for I, for I have many in the city who are my people. Now this promise of safety is very specific. This is not something prescriptive. This is not something that we can necessarily take with us because God knew exactly what was going to happen with Paul in these days. 
And we'll see that it's not always the case as things move forward. But in this season, he kept him for a specific purpose. My belief for any church, any individual, God's going to use you. In this church specifically, we just talked about, we just heard it in the prayer, y'all's location, where you're at, where you're going to be, the Lord has provided a way. And I believe in this city that we're looking at, he's here in Corinth. It's a very strategic location. This is a big market in the area. But we are here in Texas. God bless Texas. It's his country. It's God's country. It's the promised land. The economy is good. And then you have Collin County within Texas, one of the fastest growing counties in the state. Did you know there's about a million people in Collin County right now? It's projected over the next 20 to 30 years, another million people are supposed to show up. Just think about that. McKinney has gone from about 20,000 to 200,000 the last 20 years. And the next 20 to get up to 400,000. There are cities north of us who actually have more geographical space, more opportunity for more population. Everything's moving north. This place is moving fast. And the world's are colliding. We have people from nations and tongues, some unreached, sitting here in our backyard. The mission field that is McKinney, Texas, for CRC is bountiful. Yes, and the workers are few, so let's get to work. Because this is what God says. This is what Jesus says. For I have many in the city who are my people. If God sees you and he hears you and he loves you, he also work, wants to work alongside you. He wants you to work alongside him. He has people here. Therefore, God is going to use you. I believe he's going to use this church. Be encouraged. Be excited for what's ahead. Second Chronicles 7.14 talks about my people who have my name. God speaking of his people. Before we get to the idea of reaching his people, you are his people, those who are in Christ Jesus. And just remember your first love. Remember those moments when you first met Jesus. This is what he tells the church in Revelation 2. Remember your first love. Dwell on that for a minute. Think about that. Think about the time when the gospel was on its way to somewhere in this world. It was on its way to find someone, and it found you. And the Holy Spirit awakened you? Your heart heard the gospel, understood what Jesus has done for you? His death, burial, resurrection? That he has taken on your sin? When you understood the joy of your own depravity, that there's nothing that you can do to save yourself, but then God himself, the one who created you, stepped foot onto this world to take on your sin. The beauty of the gospel. Remember your first love. Because there are people out there who don't know Jesus. But this, as we get to, is the promise. Sovereignty and evangelism. How these two intersect is always a fun conversation, but I'll just say this. If God is saying, I have many people in this city who are my people, God will get his people. Have confidence in that. Acts, 30, Acts 13 verse 48 speaks of Paul and Antioch. And it says that Gentiles started, started to come to faith as many as were appointed to eternal life. 
those believed. They were appointed to this. This should actually embolden our work in evangelism. This should actually excite us for what's ahead. This should excite CRC for what's to come. A growing church in a growing city with many in the city who are God's people. There's a great confidence that as you go and interact with people, that you understand that there's a chance that the Lord has already ordained that. Therefore, we find joy in getting to work alongside him and then getting to be there in the moment when someone enters into eternity in the temporal, but they are walking into salvation, being saved, renewed, being there for a moment when someone experiences the love of Christ for the very first time. Their, chi- their, their lives are changed forever, all the way into eternity. Because remember the goal here. As we say at our church, we talk a lot about the neighbors, the nations, the next generation. This is where we're headed. Revelation 7, verses 9 through 12. This is what it reads. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. My wife and I got to work for years with a high school ministry. We had such a joy, and we, we went and did the high school camp over the summer, and we'd have a ball. And every meal, we would gather around a circle table with your, with your group, with your 10 students or so, looking face-to-face, sharing meal, some of them not getting to experience that much at home. And then at the end of every camp, this is what they would do. We'd break down that meal. You would not have your individual, what we call family meals, and we'd have one family meal, one long table, 500 students. You do the math, however many eight-foot tables that is. You can see them all the way up the hill. Everybody at one banqueting table. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. These local gatherings, these local churches, as these little slices of heaven are established, as God ushers in his kingdom through his people, as the Holy Spirit starts to cover the earth once more, this is what's to come. As the nations are invited in, because again, I have many people in the city who are my people. And he's gathering them. He's gathering them. Because when Jesus comes back, as we already covered today, when Jesus comes back, this is the vision that we get to look forward to. And this is what resulted for 18 months of ministry. Verse 11, he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. He did church with them. Don't think for a second that God isn't in every little detail of what has happened and what is going to happen in your lives, in this church's life, where you're headed? I know it hasn't been easy, but there are people out there. They are his people. Again, think about that. Think about the interactions that you have the privilege to have as you go forth from here, carrying the gospel, carrying the good news, carrying the one thing that matters when all passes away, when we are faced into eternity, and everything, all of these tangible things, all these materialistic things are gone, And you're standing there in front of God himself and that question, who do you say I am? This is what we get to bring to people. 
This is the light that we get to bring to the world. What a joy. What a privilege. Let that fuel you. Because I really truly believe God is going to use you. He's going to use your leadership. He's going to use the gifted people he's bringing here. He's going to use the location in a booming city, in a booming state. God is going to use you. So, Paul is encouraged. He sticks around. He endures. He perseveres in the midst of this. And as we see the rest of Acts 18, trials start to come. It says in verse 12, when Gallio is proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul. And so they take him to court, but then Paul is let go, and so they beat up some other guy because things are just breaking out in chaos. And then Paul continues to do his mission, building up local churches, verses 18 through 23. And Priscilla and Aquila build up Apollo, Apollos, a new character we run into in Ephesus, and he's actually sent out. And in this time, Paul has left, and now he's venturing back westward towards Ephesus. And that's where we see this in Acts 19. Acts 19, verse 1 reads this. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came to them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They were about 12 in all. So Paul comes, brings the fullness of the gospel, the the end of the story to these men. They come to faith. A new establishment of believers is here again. He evangelizes disciples and then starts to build up the church. And so he entered the synagogue, first the Jew, then the Gentile, and for three months he spoke boldly, verse 8 reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, does it sound familiar? Speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Again, similar rhythm. He goes to the synagogue. People get mad. Some people come to faith. They move over just a few feet, start a new church, and continue to hang out for a season and establish the church. And this content, verse 10, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Let me read that one more time. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Historians estimate that is nearly 10 million people. This is a ludicrous statement, if it weren't true. And so what we see here is that Paul has set up shop in the Hall of Tyrannus, daily giving lectures, daily teaching, in one place. So how does one man in one place with a group of 12 disciples who were a little misinformed, new believers, just for two years, how do they go and reach 10 million people? Again, this is God's plan. He will use his church. This is the time when likely churches like Colossae were established. The letter to the Colossians. Paul hadn't even been there when he wrote it. And this, again, is our application. When God sees you and hears you 
and loves you, and he's going to use you. Be faithful. Do not be afraid. Lean on God's promises and sovereignty. Pursue the purpose that he has set before you. Evangelize those around you with confidence in his sovereignty, that they are called, that he has people out there. Go on speaking and do not be silent. Evangelize, make disciples, plant churches. This is how you get from the Hall of Tyrannus to 10 million people in Asia. This is how a man who goes into Ephesus, excuse me, Corinth, and needs encouragement, sticks around for 18 months and sees the fruit because God knows he has people there. God has people in McKinney. God has people in Frisco. God has people in Melissa. God has people in Collin County that need to hear the good news. And he needs a church built up for that. And so we get to see this beautiful example of how the gospel gets from Jerusalem 2,000 years ago to McKinney, Texas now. The people were faithful. They endured and they persevered. They trusted in the promises of God. They understood that he sees them and that he hears them. He loves them dearly. And through that fuel of love and joy, they were then used by God to proclaim the gospel to make disciples, to build up churches and watch the church plant churches. Because you were a church plant. You were. Lord willing, you will plant more churches. Because the Lord has not guaranteed us the same safety he did Paul. But as we see here, he's guaranteed us his sovereignty. Let me say that again. The Lord has not guaranteed us the same safety, but he has guaranteed us his sovereignty. He is over all things. He's working all of these things to his glory and your good. Because again, look, just look down in your chapter. You probably see some of the headings. Riots ensue because of the work of the gospel. No one said this is going to be easy. But God has made a promise. And he has a purpose for you individually. He has a purpose for you corporately. Because he sees you. He hears you. And he loves you so much. He has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for you as you have been rescued to go help rescue others, to bring that gospel and lean into his purpose that in the end, all tribes, all nations, all tongues, so many of them represented here, will be gathered together worshiping our God, bringing glory to our God because that is the end goal. Because if we want to bring glory to God, all the nations must be worshiping him. And for all the nations to be worshiping him, we have to bring the gospel. And the gospel comes to the ministry of the church. CRC, I've been praying for you this week. We love you. And I'm so excited for what's ahead. I hope by the grace of God you have been encouraged today, that you are excited for what's ahead, that it would be the gospel, that the gospel would abound in you richly, and that it would then go forth as you see numerous numerous people that God has here, that he has ordained, that he knows them by name, and he's waiting for a messenger to bring it. Go see them. Go hear them. Go love them. Let God use you. Let God use you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for your love and sacrifice. 
You are worthy of all praise. You are worthy of the mission. You are worthy of the calling. You are worthy of living all things to you and your glory. And what a joy it is to be a part. God, we ask that you would simply use us. Let us, let us be vessels for you. Let us be open-handed with our time, our talent, our treasure, all the things that we can give to you. May we not be afraid. May we go on speaking. May we endure, may we persevere to the day that we see you face to face. When your bride, your church is one body all together. Lord, we, we look forward to that day. We praise you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.